Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Call our guest line at any time during the live show at area code 646-727-3235 and let's talk about wine. Again, the phone number to call is 646-727-3235. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. Oh, yeah. Hey. <laughs> They're happy. We're back. Hello. Wow. Got a crowd. They are all gathered around the campfire outside and a little bit of the gas you don't have. Speaking of campfire, I just saw on the weather report that the whole country for the next four or five days, supposed to have below average temperatures, below what they're normally at. So the whole country's in a cold snap. Yeah. yeah. And I saw a map uh, from, um, I don't know if it was West 2 or some Orlando station where it, it showed Denver's temperature was 44 and it was 40 here. And Wow. <laughs> what? That doesn't make any sense. That's, I know. <laughs> I got that I wrong. Know. We are Florida people. You need to remember this. We, yeah. We're Florida. Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, uh, no with beaches. It was funny. I had a <laughs> uh, watching weather report the other day, and uh, the weather guy came up, and he goes, and this is what's coming up, and this is this and this, and he goes into all the stuff and all that, comes back, and the girl that was, you know, the news reporter that was on there, she said, look, she says, all I want to know is if I should wear Heavy clothes, or if I can wear flip-flops. She says, I don't care about any of those stuff. Say, tomorrow, flip-flops, and I'll be happy. <laughs> there right. you go. That's, that's the way to look at it. You know? Oh, yeah. So. Um, and we're still not shoveling snow, so that's that's a good thing. There's there's places no. out there that probably are, but uh, we're uh, so we're good. Um, and it'll be back well, in the 80s, I think, tomorrow or Saturday on the weekend. It's, I think something like that, there. yes. That's, yeah. that's what they're saying. My... Uh, well, yeah, tomorrow Saturday you're supposed to be hitting eighty. So, so you know, next day Saturday. Um, yeah, yeah, good stuff. That's good. So okay. it is uh, Thursday, November 29th. We have been off for two weeks, and hope you all had a great uh, Thanksgiving holiday um, and uh, just a great weekend. Uh, well, great two weeks, and our our last show was on November the eighth. Wow. Um, wow. But it's. It's that time of the year, so we're trying to. Uh, that, I mean, yeah. that's, I'm thinking it's 29. That's a that's 20 days ago. We have. Yeah. I don't know if we've ever done that before. That's amazing. But uh, yeah, you can expect that for this month and probably December. It's going to be. I don't think uh, we're affected too much by December holidays, but uh, oh well. Um, but we're here and we're live, so. Look at my my calendar. I put the wrong date on the time. Yes, you I did. I, 
I saw that. Nineteenth. <laughs> what in the world was I thinking? Well, I was pretty sure I, I go see that. <laughs> I was ready to just click out of it. You didn't say anything. <laughs> you didn't say anything. I could have. Did, I just changed it, but yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I, I started I, drinking I, wine so thirty minutes ago. I don't know why. Why that would have affected it. <clears throat> I, I I pulled it up. And I looked at it and I thought nineteenth. And I looked down and it says showtime eleven twenty nine. So I figured, well, you know, he, it, it wasn't, you know. So. <laughs> Um, oh. And we do we do actually talk about wine, but uh, um, during the show, so if yeah, you came here look, uh, waiting for the wine part of it, it's it's coming up definitely. So it's, <laughs> it's just always done. We have always we haven't even talked to each other in in two weeks, so it's kind of like you know, wow, what were you doing? Oh, what was I doing? Oh, you know that kind yeah, of thing. Uh, we got that out of the way, I think, before the show yeah. started. So uh, Ron's here, and uh, we're ready to go with the show and get on with some uh, some good items for you and hopefully it's interesting and uh are you drinking anything tonight or no Normally Actually, you tell me, but... no i don't do oh. i have any wine over there that you can pour me a glass of she says we've got wine uh you should have wine. <laughs> <laughs> do we have wine she says do we have wine <laughs> uh, <laughs> what uh mm. make it red because we don't have time to chill a white so yeah. The program would be over time. I, imagine, I imagine your your place is set up like when you, you know. Do you have wine? I, I imagine your place is set up where if you if you talk to your engineer and say, "Hey, could you give me some wine?" First thing she has to ask you is from which country, and then you say, "Oh, I'd like <laughs> I'd, I'd like from from the USA tonight." And then she has to go to state and you know AVA, you know which AVA was like. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, no. Yeah. But that would be nice. That would be nice. I mean, you're like you're like the wine guy. I would, I'd imagine you have like a a trailer or something. I don't know what you call it, but some kind of big storage. <laughs> of, with what I like to have is one of those floors that is sort of like glass, and you open it up, and it goes down the spiral staircase underneath the house oh. to the big wine cellar down there. Like so like a Burns. Uh, Burn steakhouse yeah, big yeah. or something? That that would be ideal. Oh, here we go. Nice, nice choice. She gave me a Mali, 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 M A L L E E, Mali, Mali Point Cabernet Sauvignon from southeastern Australia. Uh, Casella, C A S S uh, C A S E L L A. That's all it says on the front. On the back, it actually it's not vintage either. Um, Mallee Point, southeastern Australia. Mallee Point Cabernet Sauvignon exhibits a nose of lifted blackberry, lifted blackberry, dark chocolate with hints of mint and vanilla. A full-bodied wine showing generous berry fruit characters with underlying spicy tones. Velvety soft tannins and a great length make this an excellent complement to most dishes. Oh, 2016. Here's the date. Little berry down the corner in the back. 2016. That's unusual. That's might do that so they don't have to reprint new labels all the time. But yeah, it's on the back. A little, little small thing. I like their description. So a lifted blackberry and. Uh, Great length, you know. I, I like those descriptions, and most people pick that up and go, "Oh, this must be good." Look at those words they're using. Yeah, 
All on the all on the label verbiage and what they can sell you on for, for some of this, yeah. I guess. I don't know. Exactly. Um, uh, let's see here. Oh, yeah, decent nose. I'm getting. I'm picking up some blackberry in the nose. Some. Not get the dark chocolate, but nor am I getting mint or vanilla yet in the nose. But it was just open, so it may take a, a couple of minutes for it to open up for us. Hmm. A listed blackberry? No, not listed. Hmm. Nice, light, not real heavy. They were talking about the tannins. The tannins, no velvety soft tannins. Well, I guess that's a good description of the tannins. Uh, a great length. I guess they're referring to the finish of the aftertaste. It's not real great length, but it's nice. <clears throat> nice wine. Light, fruity. So, uh, Maui Point, Southeastern Australia. Why did we pick that up? I don't know where we got that or why we picked that up. It's nice, though. Was this one we picked up in one of those wine tastings? No, we were at Total Wines. Oh, Total Wines. Found this at Total Wines. Okay. Oh, so, hmm, very good. So that's what I'm having tonight. And you, would you like to describe what you're having? I am having, uh, because we talk about them all the time, and I actually visited them two months ago. I'm having a Whispering Oaks Cha-Cha Chocolate, which is a red. It's a red, and uh, I can definitely smell the chocolate in it. Um, don't taste as much as as I I thought I did maybe at the when it was you know first brought it home, but because uh, it was back in October. Uh, but uh, yeah, I still have some of that left, and I uh, thought, yeah, you know what? Uh, let me try some uh, good chocolate wine. So there you go. Um, Very good. And really cool winery out there. If you're ever in the area, do uh, go check it out. We we do talk about them, uh, their events and everything. They do have plenty of events going on. But uh, they are in Oxford, uh, Florida, um, off of, uh, I think they're on 475 is uh, what I'm showing here. So uh, somewhere right around I-75 uh, on the West yeah, Coast. Yeah, it, took, it took, like a, took like a day and a half, I think, to get there. But uh, it was... I <laughs> <laughs> had a count out overnight. <laughs> north, of the, north of the Turnpike, uh, uh, kind of like near the... Um, Near the villages, I guess, in that area, yeah. it's, it's right where the turnpike uh, west yeah, of the village. Yeah, but definitely, definitely worth the drive, and it was it was a, a very nice, uh, very nice place, and uh, really good food. Uh, so, you know, it was a good experience. So, yeah, definitely. Whispering. In fact, yeah, they are good having stuff. an event tonight. I I didn't. I'm not going to say anything about them because it starts at seven. So. But uh, if you're listening to this on archives, you missed it. And if you're not listening to it on archives, you missed it because <laughs> you're you're not there. So, but yeah, they're having an event tonight with a, uh, a jazz musician, I think, playing and uh, wine, and they got a meal going on and stuff. But uh, uh, I I clicked out of it because I'm saying, well, that's you know, I received a reminder yesterday. I think it was. I'm saying, oh, a little bit too late. To, Get yeah. on the show. Good. Uh, they uh, they do. They have stuff all the time there. I mean, it's just it's just amazing about all the things. Uh, 
that there, there's constantly going on there at the so but if you get a chance like Mike said it's a nice place it's it's uh, great food and uh, nice wines too yeah a lot, of, a lot of real nice wines there so um, speaking of food let's go into what each of the days are we missed that for the last few weeks if you missed it uh uh, last Thursday was National Cranberry Relish Day. Uh, <laughs> you know, you would think that it would be Turkey Day or something, but no, Cranberry Relish. Last Saturday was National Sardines Day. So these are all the ones that you've missed. I think that you caught up on. But going from here, uh, today, if after you listen to the program, is National Chocolates Day. So Mike's right there with it. He's got that, that chocolate wine. Uh, so he's combining both of them together. A nice red wine with a good piece of uh, chocolate is something that is just a, a great combination. So if you haven't done that after the show, try it. Today is also National Lemon Cream Pie Day. A lemon cream pie. What, what wine was that? I think maybe a, uh, a Sauvignon Blanc might go well with a lemon cream pie. And also Rice Cake Day. National Rice Cake Day is today. Um, I'm sort of of the attitude that a rice cake's like chewing on a piece of cardboard. But you know that's just my opinion of rice cakes. I'm not a rice cake fan. Um, tomorrow National Moose Day. Doesn't have to be chalked or any particular flavor, just National Moose Day. Coming up on Saturday, National Fried Pie Day. And Eat a Red Apple Day. So a couple good good things there. Also coming up in December, and which is Saturday, by the way, uh, December's National Eggnog Month, which makes sense. National Fruitcake Month also makes sense. National Pear Month. I, I guess it makes sense because there's a lot of pears out there now. They get them on sale at the stores and all that. If you're, I am a pear fan, and pears are good. In fact, having a fresh soft pear with a uh, a port is really good. It's a good combination. So you might give that a try. National Stress Free Family. Holiday Month is coming is also in December, and Universal Human Rights Month is December. So there's a couple of different ones, but uh, the food, eggnog, fruitcake, and pear. Sunday, National Fritters Day, and if you are the Jewish persuasion, Hanukkah begins on Sunday. Monday, National Peppermint Latte Day. I'm not a latte fan, but, you know, peppermint latte might be good. Uh, have that before your wine, not during. Tuesday, National Cookie Day. And it doesn't say what type. I'm sure Christmas cookies would be the ones to consider, but National Cookie Day is Tuesday. Wednesday, National Comfort Food Day. So uh, that's... Uh, any type of comfort food for your for your ice cream is usually a lot of comfort food. I like wine personally. And then next Thursday, before the show, is National uh, 
Techo? I don't know. I, I'm pronouncing it wrong. G-A-Z-P-A-C-H-O um, is next Thursday. Uh, let's see. What, oh, next Wednesday, uh, the repel of prohibition was on that day, too, on next Wednesday, which was a good thing. Prohibition changed the whole aspect of wine in this country. It used to be to Missouri, where the big wineries were in that part of the country. Prohibition came in. It stopped that and moved uh, all of it west. And now California, since then, has taken over as the, the area. So there is your, your foods coming up for the next week. So match up your wines with those and enjoy. Trivia. We have an time to do some trivia here. I haven't been doing trivia, obviously, because we haven't been doing the show. So, how many varieties of grapes are there? Answer to that. Though most of us consistently drink wines made from just a scant handful of grape varieties, there are actually thousands of different grapes. If you added up all the names for grapes around the world, the total would come to about 24,000. Scientists, however, believe these represent only about 5,000 truly different varieties of grapes, since most varieties have numerous names. Depending on where they are grown, Moscato in Italy, for example, is Muscat elsewhere. Of these 5,000 grape varieties, a mere 150 are planted in commercially significant numbers. So, there you go. And, you know, and that's an interesting point, the grape varieties out there and how many there are and all that. In my class I used to teach at the winery, we used to talk about grape varieties. And every state in the nation has their universities. And every university has an enology and cultural department for that state. So they're always trying to come up with varieties that will grow well, that will do well in that state, that will make good wines so they can say this is ours and stuff. Cornell University, New York Cornell University, probably the leading one coming up with it, although they are rivaled by Michigan. Uh, Michigan, Minnesota, I'm sorry, Minnesota. Minnesota is constantly coming out with new cold weather varieties also. So between Minnesota and Cornell, new varieties are coming out consistently. But every state has their departments that are coming out with different ones. In fact, I mentioned before on some of the different areas that are able to come out with a variety of different grapes. For example, South Carolina. <coughs> Excuse me. Surrey Community College. We talked about that before. Surrey Community College has a, a big great program, and that's located in Dobson. Or I said South. I'm sorry, North Carolina. Uh, located in Dobson, North Carolina. And so the uh, events that they do and the grapes that they grow there are just uh, just unbelievable the amount they come out with. And they're coming up with their seventh annual Southeastern Grape and Wine Symposium. So you can register now. Uh, well, let's see. Fall schedule posted online. Uh, register for your fall schedule coming up and uh, get become part of uh, that 
education there if you're in that area or so inclined to do it. And it's probably a lot cheaper than going to some of these big-name colleges, too, and you're going to get an education there as well as you are the others. So if you're looking at getting into uh, the wine business in any way, that's a good way to do it. So, But a lot of different varieties of grapes out there, a lot of different ones. Another bit of trivia while I'm on the want to talk about trivia, I might just well go ahead and do this and get this taken care of. If I can pick it up here, yes, I can. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. The California wine industry has begun was begun by Spanish explorers who moved north from Mexico in the early 1700s, uh, securing their new territory, California, with a string of missions, each a day's journey to the next. They went. Uh, and that's how they were set up, so you can travel from one to the next. Since wine was needed for mass, not to mention uh, in daily life, the explorers planted cuttings of the grape variety they had brought to Mexico from Spain 200 years earlier. They called the variety simply Mission, after the missions where it was planted. For the next 50 years, all of the wine made in California was made from the Mission grape alone. Amazingly, there are a few plantings of the Mission grape still in existence in California today. And that with the new DNA possibilities, they can probably tell you the, the whole lineage of that. But the Mission grape is actually still out there. All right. Um, two weeks ago, Three weeks ago, wow, right after our last program, which Mike and I were talking about right before the show, 20 days ago, uh, 21 days ago, right after our last program, I received an email in All About Wine site, and you all can get in touch with us too, uh, anytime on the All About Wine site. I received an email from one of our regular listeners, Rusty, and uh, he He's been a listener for a number of years. He's a truck driver. He listens to our show plus quite a few others. He, in the email, he says, I listen to many pod- podcasts since I'm on the road 55 to 60 hours a week. And he said, listen to one uh, by Mike McGrath, aired out of Philadelphia on a PBS station. And they were talking about a new pest that the wine industry needs to worry about. I posted it on the All About Wine Facebook page, and if you're not part of that, sign up, like us, join us on Facebook. We don't flood you with posts. We don't, you know, I guarantee you we don't flood you with posts. We don't post that much. But there's a few things we'll throw up there. But join us on our Facebook page. But I put up on the Facebook page uh, that we were going to be talking about this new pest called the the Spotted Lanternfly. And it was recently imported into this country from China. And it's in a limited area now, but it's starting to spread. And it has already totally destroyed a vineyard in Pennsylvania. And this is what uh, Rusty had written to me about. And he said it might be interesting to, you know, check into that further. I did. And it is interesting. The spotted lantern fly. Uh it's uh, spotted lanternflies, and I'm not going to give you the scientific name because we really don't care, are plant hoppers. Okay, now plant hoppers are the same type of 
bug as the glassy winged sharpshooter family. So they're all in the same family. This is interesting, I thought, uh, from the order of Hematuria, uh, which is uh, like our native aphids, cicadia, and leafhoppers. And uh, they have... Uh, we have many native species of plant hoppers in the United States, but the native country for the spotted lanternfly is Southeast Asia, or, or China specifically. They can't bite. Their mouth parts are fused into a straw-like beak, which they actually insert into the plant uh, tissue to suck up sap or the, the foam. And they are not capable of penetrating human skin. So it's nothing we have to worry about, about getting bit by them. Uh, we've heard a lot of stories about people who think they've been bitten, but they couldn't swear. Um, but it is not true. It's more than likely it was a horsefly or a mosquito or something else that bit them because the spotted lanternfly will not. They, uh, this article says that they've been in infested areas that were covered with dozens of them and they've never been bitten. So it's not something that uh, you have to worry about. Damage to the house? No. Uh, it's not like a termite or a carpenter ant or anything like that. They don't do uh, any eating of wood or anything. They have to live off the, the the sap of a plant. You might get some damage from uh, the egg masses residue, uh, a little bit of mold or something from the egg masses, but otherwise it's not going to damage that. They first discovered in September of 2014, actually September 22nd, they've got it narrowed down, where they were first discovered in southern Berks County in Pennsylvania. Uh, more than likely, they're saying they arrived as an egg mass stuck to some pallets or something or in packing material, and they went unnoticed when... They did the inspection as everything coming from different countries or different areas are inspected, and they missed it. Uh, they were probably introduced before the September 2014. They're saying that by the time they were actually noticed, they had already established themselves somewhat. So they probably came in before that date. So it's they've been here for a while. And what? What do they do? What are was spotted lanternflies? Okay, the, they hatch in the spring as wingless nymphs. The nymphs hop around and feed, molting several times before their final molt to adults that can fly. In the first three stages, nymphs are black and white, are black with white spots and can be easy to overlook as they are small and they look like ants. In the fourth stage, the nymphs are more conspicuous as they're larger in red in coloration. The final molt into adults begins somewhere around the third week of July, but they can remain in the, limps, uh, in the late nymph stage as late as October. The adults then, then begin to migrate out of the area, especially on warm, breezy days from the end of July through October. Around the third week in September, they begin mating, and then they lay eggs. The eggs are laid in groups, and the groups are contained in a plaster-like covering in masses. 
The adults will continue to feed after laying eggs and hang around until a heavy frost kills them. Undisturbed egg masses will overwinter and then hatch out in the spring, continuing the cycle. Each egg mass usually contains 30 to 50 eggs, and a female can lay two to three egg masses before they die. This is what they figure. Now, it's funny, as you hear that, it reminds a lot of the glassy wing sharpshooter. Glasswing sharpshooter being, you know, the nemesis of Florida in the south and stuff like that, which can't survive the winters. But as they move north and as they're able to move north, the glasswing sharpshooter's egg mass can probably survive just like this. So it's a, a double whammy. We've got the glasswing sharpshooter that's moving and the spotted lanternflies. They eat sap from plants. They prefer... Uh, Elanthus trees are called tree of heaven. Walnuts and grapevines as their first choice. Most other hardwood tree as a secondary choice and are much less frequently. Pine trees are sometimes, but not often. And they have a wide, very wide range of host plants. Uh, if they get into a vineyard, they can decimate it in no time, just like the glassing sharpshooter can. They eat by sucking sap from the plants with a straw-like mouth part called a proboscis. And the proboscis is located between the two front legs and does not have any chewing parts. And they do not have stingers. They do not chew on leaves. They likely utilize small existing hose and tree stems and trunks that are so small they are nearly microscopic. Again, like the glass-winged sharpshooter, only the glass-winged sharpshooter carries... Um, No, my good point. Um, carries diseases and stuff that infects the uh, uh, infects the plants, and and that's what causes it. These things will just you know kill it just by sucking it out. Uh, they take advantage of any structure to rest or climb on. Uh, they don't care about houses; they just happen to be in the way. Uh, they also gather on warm surfaces when the weather is cool. So you might see them on uh, telephone poles um, that are in areas without trees and at the top of the poles where they can fly and take off and fly for further distance. Uh, they can fly very well, as a matter of fact. They're not as agile as a dragonfly or a housefly, but uh, more like a moth. Uh, early encounters uh, reported that not able to fly, but short distance, similar to a grasshopper, that's not true. They're finding that they really are quite good flyers, and they can uh, fly relatively high and far, uh, not with a great agility, but it doesn't take agility to spread from one area to another, and especially if they get into a vineyard area. Um, and in Pennsylvania, where they're spotted, that is a major problem. Uh, do they eat trees? Probably. Uh, it's hard to answer because they feed on so many different things, uh, but they can get in and eat trees. Uh, amongst the trees of the same species, they're made decimated. Uh, three silver oak maples, one is absolutely covered with spotted wing lanternflies, and the remaining two are not. Uh, if there's one that's covered, it's called a hot tree, and it's Probably 
a good way to kill them if they stay in one tree. They, uh, but do they kill the trees? You know, they probably will. Uh, this is really the multi-billion-dollar question when it comes to Pennsylvania's hardwoods. The uh, grape industry, number five annually in Pennsylvania, is another big problem and big concern about the glassing lantern uh, spotted lantern flies. Uh, the apples which is Pennsylvania's number three in annual production of apples nationally, is also being affected by the spotted lantern flies. So these are different ones that they're, they're looking at, and it could stress out younger trees uh, and kill them. It could also get into grapevines and kill a vineyard, Replanting, if you're not careful with egg masses and stuff, it could start all over again. Uh, they're drinking the sap, which is the lifeblood of the plants and the trees and everything. Uh, a healthy tree in a wet year can give up lots of sap, um, but if it's consistently being fed on, like a hot tree loaded with adults, it could weaken the tree and make it susceptible to other insects or diseases. Um, or that could kill it outright. There's same thing with grapevines. So when you start digging on it, uh, too many of them in a vineyard could decimate the grapevines. The uh, the rain. Uh, we I talked to you about glassing sharpshooter rain, where there's so many of them up there, and as they suck out this sap from the tree, it passes through their body and they expel it, uh, drop it out. And this rain is actually a high volume of uh, lanternfly honeydew falling from the branches above. They, they call it honeydew. It's a polite term that's being used to, to describe the sugar-rich urine from these bugs. Uh, it's also, it attracts other insects and stuff because it's so high on sugar, it will attract other insects, which can cause more problems to the trees and the plants and the grapevines and all that too. Uh, the uh, They call it uh, spotted lanternfly honeydew, uh, which, don't, don't kid yourself, it's just, Sugar-rich urine that that they're expelling is is all it is. Um, it's uh, because it's coming out. It, it attracts honeybees, yellow jackets, butterflies, and a lot of other types of insects that will gather this this honeydew uh, because it's so uh, well. There's so much sugar in it, uh, so that's what they're looking for. The uh, coating from uh, that uh, can also cause a fungus called sooty mold that is growing on the uh, sugar-rich honeydew dripping from the spotted uh, spotted lanternfly. Drop on the ground and cause a sooty mold, and this can also help destroy the plants or the trees. 
you get an area that has a lot of the spotted lanternfly, say a vineyard that's being ate, they will expel their uh, honeydew, their, their sugar-rich urine, and it falls on the ground. What is not picked up and ate tends to create a sooty mold or a fungus, and this can affect the plants also by not letting them get the nutrients from the soil properly and things like that. The numbers, they thrive. There are some uh, native predators, uh, but not a whole lot since they are not from this country. Spiders have been observed eating them if they can catch them in their webs. Praying mantis will eat them when they can catch them. Again, they fly. You remember that? Yellow jackets actually seem to eat dead spotted lanternflies, but they don't seem to be attacking live ones. And uh, there's probably a lot of other predators in a native country to keep them in check, but since there is none here, it's an introduced species. We don't have as many controlled pets, uh, pests as... uh, we would hope or that uh, we would try. Kill them? Yeah. If you do see any, or first thing you do is report it, no matter where you are in the country. If you want to see what a picture of it looks like, it's on Facebook page, on All About Wine Facebook page. There's a picture of an adult spotted lanternfly there. But uh, we've heard all kinds of stories about people using very toxic substances to kill them, which uh, anywhere from you know spraying them with kerosene and all sorts of stuff. You don't have to do that. Um, if you're going to use an insecticide, please be careful with it. It can affect other animals, other insects, bees is you know my main concern. It's uh, In Pennsylvania, uh, the label is the law. So if you're going to use pesticides there, be sure to follow the label. A simple solution, one quarter cup of liquid dish detergent and one gallon of water sprayed on heavy enough to coat them is a very effective way of killing them. So if you do see them, report them first. Again, uh, if you see them anywhere, report them. And then if you want to kill them, a quarter cup liquid detergent, liquid dish detergent, and one gallon of water. Pennsylvania is doing what they can. Since they first detected them in September 22, 2014, they immediately reached out to the United States Department of Agriculture, and they have a technical working class of experts with members from Pennsylvania Extension Center, State Department of Entomology, and also people from the U.S. and Asia all working and trying to get them out of the state and out of the country as much as they can. Uh, if you find one, I repeat again, let somebody know. Call your extension center or the uh, uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture, USDA, any of those, and let them know that you see one. Uh, it's not 
they're not going to quarantine your your yard or not going to do any of that. They they need to know where they are and what they're doing and all that. Uh, they spread all over the place, and since they do fly, they're going to be flying and then they're going to land somewhere. And if they've got eggs, they're going to lay the eggs. Uh, and so it's uh, something that you need to keep on top of. Uh, if, let's see, first and foremost, don't make the situation worse. Don't spread spotted lanternflies to, to new locations. And don't indiscriminately poison your home or yard by using toxic home remedies or misusing pesticides. If you spot them, develop a strategy to control and kill them. And you can do beyond your own properties, reach out to local and state officials again, let them know. And, you know, that's the main thing to do. Can they be eradicated? Probably not, I hate to say. Uh, and so there's this article that says basically the same thing. We can keep them under control. We can keep them down. Uh, natural predators for the spotted lantern fly home range may be identified and imported to help control the invasion, but that is a ways off. It's not going to happen real soon here. Uh, you know, the best thing to do, if you see them, let somebody know and controlling yourselves. There's, they'll, they'll let you know. If they get out of the Pennsylvania area, which there's a good chance, then, uh, you know, let them, uh, you know, let people know about it and all that. It, it's, uh, you know, invaders. It, it happens in this country all the time. There's lots of them. It is, and in fact, here's a quick list of some invaders that that's been around. The hemlock Huli Adogid. Uh, this decimated the hemlock forest in, in uh, Pennsylvania, which is the Pennsylvania's state tree. The emerald ash borer. 100% mortality of untreated ash trees. It's, it went all through the Midwest in two short decades and is responsible for death in millions of ash trees. Uh, the thousand canker disease. Uh, slowly kills black walnut trees uh, and is spread by twig beetles. Brown marmorated stink bugs. And these had a huge impact on fruit trees and uh, native predatory wasps are starting to take care of them. seems like it's it's doing it. Uh, The stink bugs also get into vineyards and... uh, It's affecting those. Asian longhorn beetle. It's been found in several states. It attacks hardwood trees. And uh, it can completely destroy hardwoods. And then the chestnut blight and Dutch elm disease. We've all heard of those. The chestnut blight hit the United States in the early 1900s. And it virtually eradicated one of its most plentiful and widely used forest trees in near decades. 
Uh, it estimated that the chestnut blight killed in excess of 4 billion chestnut trees. And then Dutch Elms disease, first reported in the United States in 1928. It has killed approximately 75% of our nearly 80, 80 that's 80 million previously existing native elm trees. So these things can happen. Uh, the spotted lanternfly is something that everybody needs to keep an eye out for. If I hear any more on this, I will definitely pass it on to you. Thank you, Rusty, for letting us know about this. That's uh, something I had not heard of uh, yet, but uh, it's something that's there, and it's something that we have to watch out and be aware of and hopefully can be contained in an area like Pennsylvania without destroying too much there. So, spotted lanternfly. Before I go any further, uh, I we've been talking over and over again about the wildfires and how devastating they are and all that. And They've, the big one out in California has been controlled and contained. There are currently eight large burning wildfires in the United States. Uh, that's all, just eight. One in Oklahoma, the Bird Creek Fire, 660 acres. That's close to some vineyards there. That is uh, something they're watching that there. And then there is one called the Range 2 Fire in Nevada, which is in the mountains. 9,196 acres is being burned on that right now. Southern California has a uh, fire that is the southeast or northeast, uh, southeast of Fresno or northeast of Bakersfield. There's two of them there. One of them is the Alder Fire, which is 4,654 acres. And real close to that, the Eden Fire, 1,777 acres. Uh, both of those are in the foothills of uh, that area, so it's not affected. There's another fire in the foothills uh, of California, due east of the San Francisco-San Jose area, and that is around some vineyards there. 400 acres are being burned there. They expect that to be controlled real soon because there's some more rains coming in from uh, the uh, Pacific, which, by the way, is causing some horrible flooding and horrible uh, mudslides because of the, uh, the uh, last set of fires. And then two other small, uh, two other fires up in the mountains in northern Washington State. These are not affecting any vineyards or anything right now. Uh, one of them is the Crescent Mountain Fire, which is 56,500 acres, and the other is the McLeod Fire, which is 24,400 acres being burned. But those aren't affecting vineyards at all anywhere. And uh, I tried to check the smoke from those, and I'm, my map's not giving me the smoke directions on these for some reason. But that's all. Only eight of them going on right now. Largest burning fire is the one up in Washington, which is a 56,000-plus acre fire up there. But otherwise, that's it on the fires 
in uh, around the country right now. It seems to be because of the rains coming in off the Pacific seems to be dousing most of them, except for the one in Oklahoma. That one just popped up there. Oh, uh, let's see. New uh, past, I talked about the spotted lanternfly. Okay, let's uh, some new products here. I want to share with you real fast. The Lonely Cow Rosé. Lonely Cow. Uh, Internet R. Slipman. R-S-L-I-P-M-A-N. R-Slipman.com slash product slash lonely dash cow dash wines. And it's in distributed distributed in select markets. Lonely Cow New Zealand Wines, a brand of R.S. Lipman Company, released Lonely Cow Rosé. Lonely Cow Rosé offers raspberry and strawberry aromas, which come together with the wine's bright, crispy acidity before taking cold fermented, or before being cold fermented, in small stainless steel tanks. The company says. The 750 milliliter bottle features a 13% alcohol by volume content and for rosé. That's up there a little bit. And has a suggested retail price of $12.99. So that's a new one out of New Zealand. Uh, A limited amount of distribution on that. So if you happen to see it and taste it, let me know what you think of it. And grape varietals, uh, Bluebird Cuvée Sparkling Wine. This is so-called Blozier Winery in Dundee Hills, Oregon. Internet at so-called Blozier's. It's S-O-K-O-L-B-L-O-S-S-E-R.com. Again, select markets on this. It's not widely distributed. It says Sokar Blozier Winery released the newest edition of its wine collection, Bluebird Cuvée Sparkling Wine, a proprietary assemblage of multiple white grape varietals. Bluebird Cuvée is made from the company's 2016 vintage Brut wine in the method traditional style, offering notes of ripe stone fruits, citrus, apple, and pear, the company says. Bluebird Cuvée Sparkling Wine is available in select markets including Arizona, California, Colorado, Montana, Nevada, North Carolina, Oregon, South Carolina, and Washington State. Uh, this suggests a retail price, $24.99 for a 750-milliliter bottle. That's funny. They have all those West Coast ones, and they have North and South Carolina over on the East Coast. Hmm. So, um, again, if you get an opportunity to try that one, you can always let me know uh, what you think of it and all that. Uh, let's see. Beaujolais Nouveau. Oh, yes. We missed that this year. Uh, the program was, uh, we had our big gap there because of, uh, well, Thanksgiving. And then we had the uh, week before that I missed because of uh, something I had to attend. And from the time we did our last show to now, the Bougelet Nouveau has came out, which we look forward to that, I say with a question in my voice. Uh, 
the Beaujolais Nouveau has seen its better days over the years, but uh, it's still out there. Um, the Beaujolais Nouveau uh, came out at uh, uh, the third Thursday in November, as it always does. Uh, not a specific date, but the third Thursday in November. One, two, three, that was the 15th that it hit this year at midnight, and that was one of the shows that we didn't do, so I didn't talk about it. Uh, the craze has reached a frenzied peak in the 1980s, and it's what's well, a, 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 a marketing tool more than anything else. Uh, there are boat races, helicopter airlifts, and a host of more romantic conveyances each year to disseminate nearly 70 million bottles of the wine around the globe. Uh, most of it goes to Japan, the United States, and Germany, which is interesting that Germany has so much. Uh, the, uh, until World War II, it was just consumed locally. It was a local early wine. Then, after World War II, it exploded. Excuse me. It's made from Gamay grapes from the two Appalachians south of France's Burgundy region. The year's youngest wines are made via a process called carbonic maceration. Whole grapes are tossed into a tank and the process starts right there each grape fermenting in its own skin. Because the grapes aren't crushed, tannins are minimized and the fruit flavors maximized. It given a light-bodied, fresh and fruity wine with flavors like strawberries or bubblegum or cheese or banana or fruits or any number of things because it's so young and fruity. And every now and then the young wine knocks the world's socks off with a good structure, fresh acidity, and lush ripe fruit. But not often. Uh, the uh, this year's is available. It's out there, the twenty eighteen Beaujolais Nouveau. If you haven't had it yet, I don't I haven't either. I haven't bought a bottle of it. I usually do get one bottle of it just to see what it's like, and I haven't done it this year yet. Uh, I probably would have back on the 15th, so I can tell you. Or, well, no, I couldn't have because it came on the midnight on the 15th. So the uh, if you do have it, uh, enjoy. I If I think about it, I'll pick up a bottle, and I'll, I'll give a taste and give you a review on it. But I haven't had it. Oh, let's see. A few more things to throw at you here before we close tonight. This I saw in one of the trade journals I get uh, from, oh, what, Grocery Insider? No, this is Chain Review, uh, Drug Chain Review. And it says, store brand wine from Costco Wholesale Corporation, Trader Joe's, and Aldi were honored at the Private Label Manufacturers Association's 2018 International Salute to Excellence Awards, uh, which reviewed more than 300 wines from 39 retail chains in 13 countries. The U.S. retailers were honored in three of the most 
competitive and popular wine categories, Cabernet Sauvignon, Chardonnay, and sparkling wine. So here you go. All these Broken Clouds Chardonnay from Sonoma Valley, 2016, retails at $8.99. It won the top award in that. Now, this isn't this isn't just a award that's lightly that a few people get together and say, okay, let's give some awards out. This is a big thing. This is compared to 39 retail chains in 13 different countries. Trader Joe's Reserve North Coast Brute Sparkling Wine, which retails for $9.99, took the top in that category. And Costco's Kirkland Signature Series Stags Leap District Cabernet Sauvignon 2015, which retails for $21.99, took the top in that. All three won for best quality, with the Aldi Chardonnay also winning for best value. The wines were selected by panels of judges that included masters of wine, sommeliers, wine writers, and retail industry professionals. They didn't contact me. What's going on here? (coughs) Excuse me. Wines that were selected for the judging were submitted by retailers or purchased off the shelves of retailers as they would be available to typical consumers shopping this store. Judging took place in Amsterdam. The recognition of these three U.S. retailers by the judges again confirms the growing sophistication and competitiveness of American private label brands, even when placed up against some of Europe's best-known and most popular supermarket wine programs, said the president of PLMA, a Brian Sharoff, who created the uh, program three years ago. So, hey, you know, that's something look forward to there's something to check out um particularly the all these broken clown chardonnay it's 8.99 it's one top awards there that's that's a pretty good deal that's you know kudos to all these and well actually all three of them for for what they what they've done with those grape expectations this is the origin of jefferson vineyards little quick thing here that you might find interesting. Down the road from Monticello, a picturesque vineyard beckons. Rooted in the heart of America's most historic winemaking region springs a wondrous origin story worthy of the award-winning wines uh, produced for over 245 years. It's a story of pluck, patriotism, and friendship with appearances by George Washington, Ben Franklin, and John Adams, King Stanislaus II of Poland, and the Grand Duke of Tuscany. Philip Maisai, a Florentine merchant, surgeon, and viticulturist, came to Virginia in 1773 bearing grapevines. At the urging of Thomas Jefferson, he settled in Albemarle County. The following year, Jefferson gave Massey a 193-acre tract that adjoined Monticello. In the spring of 1774, Massey formed the Wine Company. Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, and 36 others, others were shareholders. In 1775 and 1776, Massey planted a considerable vineyard, 
according to a letter Thomas Jefferson wrote in 1793, and attended to it with great diligence. In a letter to George Washington, Massey wrote, In my opinion, when the country is populated in proportion to its extent, the best wine in the world will be made here. Two centuries later, in 1981, the Woodward family hired the father, in quotes, of Virginia winemaking, Gabriel Rouse, now Monticello's director of gardens and grounds, to reintroduce vines on land Jefferson gave to Mousey. Today, it's recognized as Jefferson's Vineyards. There you go. Interesting little story for you there. Uh, something you can throw out at your at one of your Christmas parties coming up here. Alcoholic beverages. Uh, top five wine types, dollar percentage growth. Uh, wine-based cocktails have uh, grown by about 2%. Flavored beverage wine has grown by about 6%. Sake and plum wine has jumped up about 3%. Sangria has jumped up 4%. And then non-alcoholic wine, which always gives me non-alcoholic wine. That's grape juice, people. That's, that's called grape juice. Uh, non-alcoholic wine has jumped up about 1.5%. So these are growth of uh, wines over the past year that has uh, jumped up. Also, wine is being sold in a variety of packaging types. Uh, canned wine has seen impressive growth this year, up 58% in dollar sales uh, over last year. Tetra-packed wine sales are up 16% compared to a year ago. Tetra-packed, you've, you've seen those. Uh, I can't think of any of the brand names particularly right now, but they look like uh, uh, little milk cartons or something with a little cap on top of a thing, uh, single serve. Uh, I think uh, you can get them for 300 mil, 350 mil, something like that. Plastic packaged wine sales are up 12% compared with a year ago. Now, this uh, this is becoming more and more popular. Packaged plastic packaged wine. Uh, Eden Vineyards was doing a, some serious uh, study into plastic wine and um, uh, plastic bottles and all that, uh, and the owner. It got very ill and it wasn't pursued, which is sad because it was a phenomenal idea. And then box wine sales were up 6% compared with a year ago. So he's different with a canned, canned wine up 58% in dollar sales over a year ago. This is just, it's just amazing that it has jumped up that much in just a year. So, uh, yeah, you know, if you haven't had wine in the can, nothing wrong with it. Go out and take a take a look at it. Take a gander and see what you can come up with. Oh, let's see. Uh, I don't know if I said this or not, but let me go through this. This will be the last thing I'll tell you about tonight. Uh, yeah, no more trivia either. Educate yourself at Crew U, C-R-U-U, 
through you. A There is, uh, well, this is out of South Tampa Wine Shop. It, uh, Bistro Crew Sellers has launched Crew U, a series of wine appreciation education classes aimed at enthusiasts who are new to it. First crew, refreshment class starts January 9th from 6 to 8. It runs four Tuesdays in January for $250. Uh, they will be teaching uh, all sorts of stuff. It's ran by a certified sommelier, and it will explore the components involved in tasting wines and get in-depth on the major white grapes and red grapes of the world, give an overview of the major wine-producing countries with emphasis on new world versus old world, and by the end of the course, you'll be able to describe distinct styles of wine. Uh, This course will be followed by a sophomore, junior, and senior level over the course of the year. Just uh, so, you know, your first course, 250, I'm sure that, you know, it will continue to, you know, be about that. They're uh, offering a homeschool version. Uh, It contains a dozen bottles of wine, each a different style, region, area. Uh, along with breezy but real write-ups about how each one demonstrates how the same grape can be used to make a very different wine, depending on where it's grown and how it's made. Boxes will run $250, $300, depending on uh, you know what you're getting in it. Uh, so that's available coming up. If you live in, in Tampa, uh, that's coming up. If you... Uh, uh, interested in more information, get in touch. That way I'll make you contact me and get in touch, and I'll give you more information on that coming up. And there we go. Uh, we you know, got a little, little caught up tonight on some of the stuff since we've been missing the last few weeks. Go out and buy yourself a Boucherlet Nouveau. Yeah. Have to, have to try it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Gonna have to, gonna have to grab a new Boucherlet Nouveau. I haven't done it yet either. I, I usually... Using them on top of that stuff, but I wasn't this this year. Hmm. So, okay. Next week we should have ourselves a guest, uh, yeah, a young young lady by the name of, and I will let you know in just about a second, Christy, uh, who is a representative of One Hope Wine, and she'll tell you One Hope Wine sells wine and everything. Or every bottle of wine that's sold, or every case of wine that's sold, or every three-pack or four-pack or everything goes to a charity. They have selected charities they pick out and they support. And so Christy will tell you about that next week and how it works and how you can order it online and all sorts of stuff there. So she will be our hopefully our guest as long as there's no problems. I mean, I'm still a week out and there's always things that happen, but... She should be our guest next week. Very cool. We'll look forward to that as well. And um, that'll be on December the 6th. Uh, Wow, we're in December already. (laughs) December Mm -hmm. the 6th, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, I think we've got everything 
Yeah, I looked up a lot of stuff tonight. Um, <laughs> we'll go ahead and uh, close the show out for this week. And uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in, uh, whether it's live or on the archives. It, that's always a possibility. You can go back to, like, our first show uh, right here on Blog Talk Radio and the index on the, on the archives on the show page. And I uh, uh, really appreciate your uh, following and, and tuning in to us. Uh, also visit the page if you want to contact us or to be a guest on the show. You can go to allaboutwinebtr.com. That's allaboutwinebtr.com. May have to put www in there. I don't have to check. But uh, anyway, check it, check it out. There's more information on there, as well as links to our previous guests. You can take a look at uh, who was on and, and have links to their websites or other information. So uh, I really appreciate that. Thanks thanks for uh, tuning in again. And uh, until next week, um, be safe. And uh, hope you're not uh, getting too cool. What are we doing with the yeah. winter time? Yeah, we're not here. Um, We'll be back. Drink wine no. and be yes, safe. We'll see wine. you next week. Responsibly. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. All about wine.